Just Thinking with hosts Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What do you know, Omahi? What's going, What's on, going man? on, man? How you doing, doctor? I don't know, man. I'm just chilling out here in SoCal, Southern California, man. man. That must rain be, last week. That must be nice, man. Even a little rain in SoCal. It just sounds cool, man. I'm in SoCal, you know. It was so funny, though, bro. When it rains here, man, it's like, wow. It, it starts trending on Twitter, man. They had their own hashtag. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you were telling me when I was out there, it doesn't rain that often. I mean, you guys were just it suffering through rain, the fires bro. and all of that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, big I, deal. I mean, not only does it not rain here, there rarely are there clouds. Seriously, I'm not over-exaggerating. There rarely are there clouds here. Wow. So, but it rained last week. I think that's and, got uh, judgment, man. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't a cloud in the sky, not even the size there of a really, fist or anything, man. There, I mean, there's nothing. There's any clouds, man. Like right now, as we record this, there are solidly blue skies, wow. 360 degrees, panoramic view. Look wherever direction you wish. Wow. No clouds. That's got to be got judgment, um, man. It's beautiful here, man. It's be- but but it's always nice in Southern California. Always. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's it. It just is, man. So it is. I What's going you. on with you, are, man, out there in Nebraska? Not much, man. It's it's always up and down here. I mean, you you never know what you're going to get, especially in the morning and November morning as you're heading into a church. You're like, okay, should I put on a, a jacket? Should I put on a heavy coat? And then by the time you put the heavy coat on in the morning, by the time you get out of church, man, it's 50 degrees, 60 degrees. And you're like, oh, snap, you know, who who let all the heat in? So um, it, it's kind of one of those up and down, back and forth. But man, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm coming back off of it. And I know those who've who heard our last recording kind of heard me coughing and hacking and trying to trying to maintain, you know, just just uh, just to make it through all the laughing and nonsense that we pull when we do one of our shows, man. It definitely you know, you definitely got to be prepared for it. But uh, feeling better, man, coming on the other side of that and uh, I'm j- just trying to get healed up, get better as as the holidays uh, begin to approach. So, man, I'm feeling good. Yeah, you were saying before we hit record on this episode <laughs> that you're feeling right around 90%. Is that right? Right. You're Absolutely. 90%. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, man, we are ready to rock. And uh, wow, this is this is what we're calling somewhat of a special episode, um, given the subject matter. We've titled this episode, The Grace of God. And uh, we're recording this uh, Thanksgiving week 2009. So we're recording mm-hmm. this on Sunday. What's this, the 24th? Yes, sir. Sunday, November 24th. So we're about four days out from Thanksgiving 2019. We've titled this The Grace of God. And um, we just really, both you and I really felt convicted that this would be a great topic to uh, release an episode on. And matter of fact, mm-hmm. we're going to release this episode early. Mm-hmm. So normally we'll record an episode on Sunday. Generally, not always, but we will, uh, depending on the subject matter, we will release an episode early. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going, we've already put the news out there on social media that once this episode is done, Barring, uh, you know, too many flobs and errors by you and me as we record this thing. Right. We don't have to make it too hard for uh, Dwayne to clean us up. Right. Uh, but barring anything like that or any technical difficulties, we plan on releasing this episode uh, tomorrow, November mm-hmm. 25th. So mm-hmm. we, uh, we're we excited about this episode. We've been looking forward to this. And we thank, for, thank everyone for praying for us 
uh, about this episode because we're going to dive deep into the doctrinal uh, components of the grace of God and, uh, and just some various aspects of what that mean mm-hmm. means rather what that means as we approach Thanksgiving uh, and then a little further out uh, Christmas. So uh, anything you want to say uh, Omaha, before we dive into this, bro? No, man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. You sent me some notes kind of where we're, where we're headed. And, uh, man, I just, I just, the listeners just need to enjoy the ride, man. This is going to be a really, really good one. And I, you, you talked about this earlier and I think you teased this out in social media. Uh, this is, this particular episode might be one to, to bring the family around and kind of think through, grab yeah. a, grab a Bible, open it up and kind of walk through some of the things that we're going to, that we're going to share in this particular episode. I think it's going to be incredibly helpful as I went through some of your notes and tried to figure out kind of my thoughts around them. Uh, man, I was, just, I was just really in, encouraged. And so I know that that'll be the case for those who, who listen into this particular episode. Yeah, you know, Omaha, one of the most consistent uh, comments that we get on our episodes is people will tell us regularly, hey, I had to listen to that two and three times. Right. And they'll say I had to have a pen and paper out to take notes. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're glad to hear that because um, we've said before, the Just Thinking podcast, <laughs> uh, it's, it's just not your run-of-the-mill podcast. I mean, we, we we didn't name it that for this reason, the reason that I'm about to say. We didn't name it the Just Thinking podcast for that, this reason. But when you listen to the po- this podcast, it does give you a lot to think about. Amen. It does challenge the mind. Mm-hmm. So it, it, we really take it as a compliment for someone to say to us, well, I had to listen to that episode multiple times. I had to break out pen and paper to take notes. I had to pause mm-hmm. it here, pick it back up there. Uh, so we, we really, we, we take it as a, as a, as a point of pride, humbly. We take yeah. it as a point of pride that people uh, take the time to listen so closely to mm-hmm. the things we have to say, because uh, what we pride ourselves on, again, humbly speaking, is that you know we don't get behind these microphones and give you our opinion. No, uh, we, absolutely we, we, We're going to exegete the Word of God. Hopefully, stay true, hermeneutically true to what the uh, the text means by what it says, and then uh, present that issue through what the Word of God says through the objective truth of God's Word. So, mm-hmm. uh, this may be a matter of fact. I won't even say maybe. This is definitely one of those episodes where you're going to want to sit down, grab a pen and paper, take plenty of notes. And I think it's a fantastic idea that you just suggested there, Omaha. If you, if you happen to be listening to this, listening to this episode rather, around the Thanksgiving table, or as the the Thanksgiving table is in the process of being set, maybe right, right. Uh, go ahead and turn the volume up on this episode. Uh, this will be a perfect episode to listen to as you all get ready to uh, sit around the table and give thanks for the uh, the meal that you're about to partake of. Mm-hmm. But as we get started on this episode, Omaha, you know, what I'm about to say may come across as redundant to some. Okay. But when we consider what it means biblically to mm-hmm. be thankful, when we consider what it means biblically to be thankful, we have to begin with what being thankful means in biblical terms. Okay. Now, I know that may sound re- redundant. But we really need to think about what being thankful means in biblical terms if we want to understand what it means biblically Mm -hmm. to be thankful. Now, with that in mind, it's interesting to note that in the NASB translation, which is one of the most literal Bible translations available today, in the NASB translation, the word thankful, okay, thankful occurs only once in all of Scripture, Mm -hmm. believe it or not. The word thankful occurs only once. 
and all of all of scripture. And that one occurrence is found in Colossians chapter three, verse 15, where the apostle Paul exhorts us to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Mm. Now, again, that word thankful appears only one time in all the scripture. And it's in that text in Colossians three fifteen. Now there are two commands in that verse that we should be aware of. Okay. Talking about Colossians three fifteen. There are two commands there. Number one, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And number two, be thankful. Okay. So those are two commands that we see in Colossians three fifteen. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And the second command is be thankful. Now, it is a second command that you and I are going to be focused on in this episode, Omaha. But in order to do that, some basic exegesis is necessary to help us and our listeners grasp the context of how that apostolic command from the Apostle Paul to be thankful is to be understood and applied in our lives. Okay, mm-hmm. so the word thankful in Colossians 3.15 is the Greek adjective eucharistos. Eucharistos is spelled E-U-C-H-A-R-I-S-T-O-S, Eucharistos, which translated means grateful or thankful, okay? Now, the word Eucharistos is actually derived from the Greek verb charizomai, charizomai, which is spelled C-H-A-R-I-Z-O-M-A-I, charizomai. Mm -hmm. which means to give graciously, to bestow, to give freely, or to be exceedingly kind or benevolent. Okay, so that's the definition of the Greek verb charizomai, all right? To give graciously, to bestow, to give freely, or to be exceedingly kind or benevolent. Now, interestingly, the Greek word charizomai contains the root word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis, from which the word grace is derived, okay? Mm -hmm. The word charis translates to mean goodwill, loving kindness, or favor, but it also speaks of that which affords one joy, pleasure, and delight, okay? Now, in the New Testament, the word grace or charis in the Greek first appears in Luke chapter 2, verse 40, where the Apostle Luke's the Apostle Luke writes of Jesus, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom and the grace, which is to say the loving kindness and favor of God was upon him. Okay, so Luke 240, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. All right. Now that expression of divine approval and favor from God the Father toward his son is also seen in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, which reads, And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, Matthew three seventeen. Now, notwithstanding those expressions of divine grace by the Father towards his son, There are other expressions and aspects of God's grace that are directed toward we who are bearers of his image. The first is what what is referred to in biblical theology as God's common grace. Okay, God's 
common grace. In his systematic theology entitled Biblical Doctrine, a Systematic Summary of Biblical Truth, John MacArthur defines common grace as, quote, an expression of the universal goodness and benevolence of God experienced by all people without exception, including those who will never receive salvation. Common grace stands in distinction to special grace or saving grace by which God rescues his elect from the penalty and power of sin, regenerating and sanctifying them through the work of the Holy Spirit. Common grace, then, does not impart forgiveness for sin, nor does it regenerate unbelieving hearts. Though it reveals truths about the Creator, Romans 1, 18 through 20, and brings conviction of wrongdoing, Romans 2, 15, it cannot lead to salvation on its own apart from saving grace. Common grace provides the human race with at least three benefits. First, it temporarily restrains sin and mitigates against sin's damaging effects. Second, common grace enables unbelievers to enjoy beauty and goodness in this life. Both the righteous and the unrighteous experience numerous physical blessings from God's hand. Mm. And third, Common grace affords sinners time to hear the gospel so that they might be motivated to repent, unquote. Mm. That was the definition of common grace from John MacArthur's systematic theology. So according to MacArthur, the doctrine of common grace is to be understood as God's, quote, universal goodness and benevolence, unquote, toward all of God's image bearers, hence the term universal, without exception, regardless of whether or not they are regenerate. Now, that reality is clearly expressed in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, which says of God that he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay, Mm -hmm. the truth of Matthew 545 brings to mind the words of the 19th century English theologian A.W. Pink, who said this, quote, instead of complaining at his lot. A contented man is thankful that his condition and circumstances are no worse than they are. Mm. Instead of greedily desiring something more than he than the supply of his present need, he rejoices that God still cares for him. Such a one is content with such as he has. Unquote. That was AWP. Thoughts Virgil. Uh, a couple of thoughts, man. Um, as you kind of walk through this, one of the things that I love about what we do. Uh, on our show and and you you um, you expressed that and exemplified that at, at the top is we start with definition right and and we start with biblical definitions uh, yes. rather than kind of being open to you know whatever feeling someone might have on the basis of a word they hear or 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 changing definitions as is the the example of the culture for for things like marriage or things like grace or social or justice or or things like that we we want to make sure that we define terms and so man I, I really appreciate the fact that at the top of of the show uh, you began by uh, explaining something you called redundant but but uh, but and, and for you and I because of the manner in which we approach scripture it is redundant but for those who may be listening to us for the first time something simple like defining terms like thankful 
from a right. biblical perspective are incredibly, those kinds of things are incredibly important. So I thought, I thought that was good. The second thing that, that I wrote down, one of the things that the other thing that I loved about what you shared is that it, it, it is, is the, is a category, the category of common, of common grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, because it provides for believers and unbelievers alike, a category for us all to understand the natural goodness of God that is aimed at all of mankind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for example, far, far too many believers only think of, of the grace of God in terms of salvation. You know, God's grace aimed at God's, at, at God's elect. But for those who don't understand doctrines of grace, they're left believing that either somehow God's required to bestow grace in a salvific sense upon all of creation in the same way mm-hmm. at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't, yep. he's, if he doesn't, then he is somehow unloving or unkind or unjust uh, to those who are not his elect. Mm-hmm. But but when we understand common grace, uh, we understand that this is the manner in which God biblically has provided an expression of his love upon all humanity without violating the category of his love as it's uniquely and specifically expressed upon those who are in Christ. That's an excellent point, Omaha, and very good at making that distinction uh, because you you bring that up, right? People often ask, "Well, why doesn't God save everybody?" Right, right, you know, right, right. And, and, and so, so we have <laughs> as, as as sinful wretches, we have the nerve to call into question God's character. Right, right. Uh, and I, and I think what you just did in really sort of expanding on the distinction between common grace and saving grace, not that that'll put this argument to rest. It's not really an argument, but right. You know, for for those who are unbelievers, uh, that argument will will be sustained. I'm sure it should uh, be for believers. Yes, it, it should be put to rest, but it won't be. It won't be. It won't be. The heart. I'll I'll say this. I'll say this and toss it back to you. And by way of example, every single breath that we take is an act of God's common grace aimed at man. Every breath that we breathe, that he allows us to breathe, right? Both the just and the unjust live and breathe. The next breath that we Mm -hmm. take in is an experience Mm -hmm. of, of God's common grace, because what we really deserve is God's wrath. Due, 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 due to those who are unrighteous. In fact, Nahum 1.3 says the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and the Lord by no means clears the guilty. I mean, that, 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 that simple truth is the reality of the common grace of God. We deserve God's wrath, but instead we're given the common grace of experiencing the beauty of life, the, the, the taste of a, a food, the, 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 mm-hmm. the, the clarity of thought, the ability to mm-hmm. articulate word. I mean, all of those things are an example mm-hmm. of common grace for which we should be grateful. Amen, brother. We're going to elaborate and expand on that later on in this episode, you know, but in light of what we read earlier in Matthew five forty five, <laughs> that God demonstrates his grace toward both the righteous and the unrighteous alike, I want to add some additional context to how God's universal goodness and benevolence, as MacArthur described it, is manifested in the world. And you just alluded to some of that, Omaha. Mm-hmm. What I like to do is do that by quoting from the great Dutch Reformed theologian Herman Bavink. Mm. In 1909, Bavink wrote a paper for the Princeton Theological Review entitled Calvin and Common Grace. And in that treatise, Bavink said the following, quote, Behind everything, the sovereign will of God lies hidden and works. Okay, behind everything, the sovereign will of God lies hidden and works, Bavink said. The content, the kernel of this will is made known to us in the gospel. From it, that is from the gospel, 
we know that God is a merciful and gracious father who, in spite of all opposition, proposes to himself the salvation of the church, the redemption of the world, the glorification of his perfections. But this will of God is not an impotent desire. It is omnipotent energy, Bavik says. It realizes itself in the faith of the elect. True faith is an experience of the work of God in one's soul. And for this reason, affords unshakable assurance, immovable confidence, the power to surmount all pain and peril through communion with God. Bavik mm-hmm. continues. Mm-hmm. Though this gracious and omnipotent will of God is made known in the gospel alone and experienced in faith only, nevertheless, it does not stand isolated, but is encompassed, supported, and reinforced by the operation of the same will in the world at large, unquote. Okay, so those, those last words are very, very important from Bavink that God's grace is employed in the operation in the same way within believers he employs it in the world at large. So that's Mm -hmm. what common grace looks like. Now, my my point in quoting MacArthur and Baving is to stress the undeniable and unarguable fact that just like you said earlier, Omaha, that every person on the face of the earth has reason to glorify and give thanks to God. Each one of us. Every single one of us, believer and unbeliever alike, has partaken of God's unmerited goodness and loving kindness since the very moment we took our first breath in this world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, we are partaking of that grace right this very second. Yeah. To drive that point home, listen to what Charles Spurgeon said in a sermon he gave on March 15th, 1863, entitled Ebenezer. On speaking on, on the grace of God, Spurgeon said this in that sermon in 1863, quote, I know not a word which can express the surprise and wonder of our souls that our souls ought to feel at God's goodness to us. Our hearts playing the harlot, our lives far from perfect, our faith almost blown out, our unbelief often prevailing, our pride lifting up its accursed head, our patience a poor, sickly plant, almost nipped by one night's frost, Mm. our courage little better than cowardice, our love lukewarmness, our ardor but as ice. Oh, my dear brethren, if if we will but think any one of us what a mass of sin we are, if we will but reflect that we are, after all, as one of the fathers writes, walking dunghills, we should indeed be surprised that the son of divine grace should continue so perpetually to shine upon us mm. and that the abundance of heaven's mercy should be revealed in us. Man, that's so good. That is so good. That was the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, again, in a sermon he gave on March 15th, 1863, that he titled in Ebenezer, just rightly describing us as walking dunghills. Uh, now, to use that kind of language today, Omaha would probably get a pastor voted out. Of the <laughs> right, 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 right. That would, man, it's so rich, so rich. There are, you know, you 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 take the uh, you take the sort of emotive, sort of uh, 
hypersensitive uh, tone that that exists within evangelicalism today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some preachers that I can think of right now that that wouldn't be tolerated in the pulpit today. People like Spurgeon, no uh, Martin Lloyd Jones. Nope. Uh, you know, uh, even in contemporary terms, uh, uh, preachers like MacArthur and Stephen right. Lawson, uh, right. who, who R- present right. the word of God unfiltered, unadulterated, would be voted out of pulpit. Most of the pulpits in the church today. Right. Lawson, well, Lawson, consider, tells, Lawson, Lawson tells a story about that. Right. As, as he uh, yeah. preached at a, at a particular church and they, they ended up getting him out of there. I can't imagine that. But but yeah, that that actually I mean, the, the truth of the matter is that actually happened. It's unbelievable. But yeah, but mm-hmm. but but today's churches, they couldn't tolerate somebody like a Spurgeon. Absolutely. No, not. They vote him bro, out. They kick him they out. They would vote him out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Walking dunghills. Oh, yeah, that would get you kicked out. But that's yeah. that's who we are. That's who we are. When you really understand the, the sin nature in biblical terms, that's exactly who, that, that is an apt, perfect description of who mm-hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I consider uh, when I consider those incredibly sobering and, and convicting words from Spurgeon, I can't help being reminded that one of the most egregious sins that we as the church and as individual believers continue to engage in, particularly in recent history, is the manner in which we make light of the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one reason we're getting to, into why we titled this episode The Grace of God. But we, we, we treat the doctrine of the grace of God as if it were little more than a bumper sticker slogan or a sentence that fits nicely as an acrostic on a T-shirt or on the marquee of a church. But, but listen to what Dr. Thomas Schreiner, OK, Dr. Thomas R. Schreiner, professor of New Testament interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Listen to what he writes in his book, New Testament Theology magnifying God in Christ. Listen to Dr. Schreiner, quote, those who live under grace have died with Christ in baptism and thus have died to sin. The slavery to sin that existed before baptism has been broken in their lives. They are no longer under sin's tyranny and bondage. To be under grace means that a new master has been established in the hearts of human beings. The rule of sin has been dethroned by the death and resurrection of Christ mm. so that believers now walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 4. God has performed radical heart surgery, Schroeder says. Amen. God has performed radical heart surgery so that those who previously lived in slavery to sin now have a desire to obey God from the heart, unquote. Mm-hmm. That was Dr. Thomas R. Schreiner. I thought that was awesome. That's in his book, New Testament Theology, subtitle, Magnifying God in Christ. Thoughts on Maha? Uh, man, it, it reminded me of, again, the quote from uh, from Spurgeon, uh, this one that you just that you just reflected on. It, it just reminds me of something that I ran across this week. I was a, in a study that that I lead on Wednesday mornings and taking a group of ladies through the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Yes. Uh, and, and in the third chapter of the book, it challenges the reader with three ways which they can examine themselves to see if they indeed know God. And Packer mentions. Omar, can, I, can I interrupt real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If knowing if Packer's knowing God is not mm-hmm. part of your personal library, <laughs> yeah, shame on you. Yeah, seriously, yeah, absolutely, shame on you if you have not read Knowing God. <laughs> rem- remedy that today, absolutely. Okay, or or put that on your Christmas list or something. But every every Christian, 
mm-hmm. should have a copy of Packers. No excuses to not have read that book. Yeah, absolutely. On a, on a side note, one of the things that I, one of the reasons why I wanted to use this book for, for women's study, uh, a couple of ladies, a few ladies that approached me and said, Hey, would you, we, we'd love, we love the fact you teach a lot of men theology. Would you come and teach some, some, you know, some theology to us? And I said, well, I'd, I'd love to do that. But so I started looking to see what kinds of things were out there resource wise just for the women. And, and I was I was woefully saddened with some of the subject matter and topics that are so self-centered and focused uh, on, for that that are aimed at women. And so my thought was to grab this, open it up. And I've, I've like you, I'm, I'm sure you've read this a number of times. I have, too. And I thought rather than rather than focusing on self, it's more important that we focus on God. And so that was kind of the reason mm-hmm. and rationale Amen. behind it. Anyway, Packer Packer mentions the importance of our commitment to having energy for God. Uh, and and by this, he, he he talks about having an internal desire to pursue God and even mm-hmm. to defend his name. So, for example, in, at Paul in Acts 17, while he was in Athens, Scripture says that he was, quote, provoked in his spirit when he saw the city was full of idols. Mm-hmm. And Packer would describe this as having energy toward the things of God. He'd go on to describe things like prayer and boldness and meditation as indicators of the fact that we have a desire to know God. Now, one of the things that caught my attention about what Packer said, in light, even in light of our discussion, was that he stated that those who know God spend time thinking deep thoughts about mm, wow. God. Wow. Okay. So, so when I read that, man, I had to pause for one true thankfulness, uh, understanding the grace of God and, and, and expressing true thankfulness requires us to think deep thoughts about God mm-hmm. so that we can rightly express our thankfulness to him. So I, I used that during our study as a, as an opportunity to ask these women, how, how do they go about thinking the deep thoughts of God mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in a culture and a culture that we currently live in that really doesn't enjoy thinking deeply about much of anything unless it's their it's their own navel. Right. Or, or some or some narcissistic mm-hmm. approach to life. Uh, I, I just asked them now for me. I, I share with them outside of the scripture, specifically the Psalter, man. I enjoy reading books on prayer from great men or even things simple like like uh, the Valley of Vision or writers, you know, writing. Oh, yes. I, and I know you love it. I, I think I've seen a, a picture of, of your copy of, of the <laughs> Valley of Vision. I mean, you've you've exegeted the, the prayers uh, and kind of. I did one. one did my you? favorite my favorite chapter in the Valley of Vision is titled Yet I Sin. Mm. Yet I sin. And uh, I was just moved, man, to go deeper. I mean, this is exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. Also about God. So I literally took every line of that prayer and I associated it with one, whatever scripture verses I could study to connect those lines. Literally every line mm-hmm. of that prayer is associated with a scripture verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I encourage everyone, if you've got a copy of the Valley of Vision to do that, if you don't have a copy of the Valley of Vision, Give get one. a copy of the Valley of Vision. Yeah. Meditate on those prayers. And then right alongside the word of God, have your word, have the word of God open and ask the Lord to bring to your mind what scripture verses you can associate with what's being talked about, what's being said in those prayers Absolutely. so that you can inculcate not just the prayer, but the scripture verses and text absolutely, that absolutely, absolutely, I, absolutely. I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Omar. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep, yep, yep. And so that my my thought was to encourage our listeners to to do the same. What you quoted, the things that you're pulling, not only not only earlier, but I know some things that you got teed up for us as we walk through are great men of God who are thinking the deep thoughts of God, and what that allows us to do is it allows us to up to to 
to express the appropriate amount of thankfulness for the doctrine of God's grace. Secondly, I'll mention mm-hmm. this, and you mentioned it earlier. We have a tendency, and, and it's perhaps uh, this is this is a sim- this is simply a natural fallen human condition. We have a tendency to take for granted God's grace. Uh, in, in a, in a yep. salvific in a salvific sense, men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it cheap grace. You mm-hmm. know, and and I, I mentioned earlier that there are a number of things that I don't agree with with regard to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Much like Karl Barth, he had had a number of different problems with his theology. But but there there are some things that men like Barth and like Bonhoeffer did get right, and so I believe this is one of those things. So far far too many Christians preach a gospel, uh, Bonhoeffer would say, that cost them nothing. And in his book, Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer said this, and I quote, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, Mm -hmm. baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Christ, without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Unfortunately, this kind of cheap, and end quote, and unfortunately, this kind of cheap grace is preached in far too many pulpits today. And in a salvific sense, we must demonstrate a thankfulness commensurate with a life, as Paul would say, worthy of the call for which we have been called. Thoughts like what you've shared uh, in our in our, our time together so far and, and where I know we're going to go in the rest of of this podcast are are incredibly helpful for us to think the deep thoughts of God and to really have the have a have a full expression of thankfulness that we should have with regard to the doctrines of grace. You know, Omaha, I really appreciate you quoting uh, Bonhoeffer and what his definition of cheap grace is. You know, mm-hmm. I have a word for that. I call it gracism. <laughs> But you always come. You you always coming up with something, man. You always <laughs> it's great something else, so, so, something new for the listener. I love it. I love it. That's that's. I'm going to ask you if you don't mind. Can you repeat the quote from Von Harfer, and then folks will understand why I call it gracism. This is Absolutely. this is exactly this is this is my definition of gracism. Exactly what you quoted from Von Harfer. You mind repeating that, Omaha? Yep. Yep. Quote: Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate, end quote. Yeah, see, that's gracism. Yeah. That's gracism <laughs> defined right there. That's you have a good. bunch of... You got a bunch of graces out here in these pulpits and in churches. And this is why the church is so weak today, especially mm-hmm. you see this every day on Mahal social yeah, media. Especially. Yep. You can't say anything regarding calling someone to repentance, Mm-mm. calling out someone's sin Mm-mm. without being attacked by the tone police. Absolutely. And this is because all the church preaches these days is grace, 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 grace. And I'm going to expand on that later in this episode. But we got a bunch of graces in pulpits, in pews, where now what Bonhoeffer is talking about is exact. The man was absolutely right. He was very exact in describing what I'm terming gracism. We have gracism being practiced by a bunch of graces out here. Mm-hmm. To where you can't even mention sin, 
church discipline, repentance, confession, accountability, nothing. All, all are things that the scripture teaches, but you can't talk about it because right. we have a bunch of graces out here where gracism rules across the span <laughs> of evangelicalism. Right, right. You know, I spoke a few moments ago about God's common grace, right? But it, but in addition to the common grace of God, there's also called God's, what is called God's special grace or his saving grace. Okay, MacArthur mentioned that in the quote that I read from him from his systematic theology. Now, God's special or saving grace refers to the demonstration of God's unmerited loving kindness, whereby he brings lost sinners to faith in Christ by regenerating their hearts through the monergistic and supernatural power of his spirit. We can see Amen. that in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, 1 Corinthians 1, 30. Now, that supernatural change of heart is expressed in such passages as Ezekiel chapter 36, mm-hmm. verses mm-hmm. 26 and 27, where God himself says this. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. That was Ezekiel mm-hmm. chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. Now, in view of that text in Ezekiel 36, I want to again quote John MacArthur from his systematic theology as he provides some doctrinal clarity about what regeneration is and what it does. MacArthur says this, quote, In regeneration, the Spirit of God opens the blind eyes of the mind, replacing, as it were, the mind of the flesh with the mind of the spirit, indeed with the mind of Christ himself, so that the regenerate man appraises all the things that he once could not understand. The spirit removes the sinner's heart of stone and implants in him a heart of flesh capable of perceiving and loving spiritual truth. The affections are thus renewed after the likeness of Christ so that the man hates sin, loves righteousness, thirsts for the God whom he once abhorred, and loves and rejoices in the Christ whom he once regarded as foolish, unquote. That was John MacArthur, his definition of regeneration. So I thought that was very important. That comes from, again, his systematic theology. Now, one of the more important verses in the New Testament regarding God's special or saving grace is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It reads this way, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Now, the word grace in Ephesians 2, 8 is the, word, is the Greek word charis, as we talked about earlier in this episode, C-H-A-R-I-S. Charis. Now, we hear a lot of talk today about the grace of God, but we hear very little in terms of what the word grace actually means. Now, what is Paul saying here in Ephesians 2, 8, that by grace you have been saved? So with the exegesis we've done to this point in mind, I'd like to make the case that an excellent and biblical definition of God's grace can be found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. It reads this way. He, that is God the Father, predestined us, that is God's elect, to adoption 
to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, that is to God the Father, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That word grace again is, is the Greek word charis, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Okay, Ephesians 1, verses 5 and 6. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So in Ephesians 1, verses 5 and 6, we see that God's grace is, quote, the kind intention of his will, unquote, as expressed in, the, in God freely and volitionally bestowing upon his elect his unmerited loving kindness and favor for the sole purpose of bringing glory to himself. That is the grace of God defined, okay? The kind intention of his will as expressed in his free and volitional bestowing upon his elect, his unmerited, emphasis on unmerited mm-hmm. loving kindness and favor in order to bring glory to himself. You know, when you think about that, you have to consider what an incredibly weighty thing that is. Yeah. To think, right? To think that God will bestow upon undeserving sinners like you and me, Omaha, or as Spurgeon put it, that God will will bestow upon us walking dunghills, Mm -hmm. such loving kindness and benevolence as to bring us to faith in him through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the, on the cross. What a very, what is a, a massively weighty consideration that is in light of our own sinfulness. Any thoughts on that, Omaha? Man, a, a number of thoughts. I think what you shared really summarizes itself. And I'll, I'll simply say here that anyone desiring to, uh, to truly understand the goodness of God's grace aimed at us before the foundation of the world should, should spend some time exegeting Ephesians chapter 1. It's, it's, yes. when, you, when you understand that, that text of Scripture, Paul is actually taking you behind the curtain of Genesis 1, chapter 1. Right. Which says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth for for the first time in Ephesians one, three and following. You have the wonderful opportunity to know the mind of God in a way not expressed in the same way throughout Scripture with such crystal clarity. Uh, Ephesians one, three and four says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestines us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, for the first time, we understand that prior to God saying, let there be light. This was his plan to unite his elect through the planned redemption of Christ. The text will go on explaining God knowing, knowing that we would reject him, knowing that Adam would sin, knowing that you and I would rebel against him, determined before he said, let there be light, that he would enact the plan for your salvation. He's the one who justifies sinners. He would have this plan in place, not as a reaction to what we had done, but as a preemptive act to put his love on full display, uh, that he would have grace sufficient to save a people and that we would be holy and blameless before him. All of this plan in eternity past, before the foundation of the world, that God would think of you and I in such a way should be 
mind boggling. We, we, sh- mm. we should awaken every single day with the thought, who, not, not simply who is man that thou art mindful of him. Who am I that mm. you were wow. mindful of me in such a way that you would, you would, you would develop this plan before you ever put a star in the sky, before you, before planets took orbit. You had this plan in eternity for my salvation. This, this should elicit thankfulness every single day in our lives. That was beautifully said, Omaha. Seriously, bro. That was man. Thank you so much for that. You know, speaking of thankfulness. It was the 17th century Puritan Thomas Watson, who, by the way, just so happens to be my favorite Puritan. I probably read more Watson. You keep than saying that. I'm, I'm yeah. gonna have to, I'm gonna have to slow down. I'm gonna have to go get some, some Thomas Watson. I, I've, I've read quotes, clips, bits, pieces, but I'm gonna have to stop and go get one of these books and just dive in. Start with the book that I'm about to uh, quote, uh, Omaha. Start with a body of divinity. Uh, Watson was just absolutely a a brilliant man, brilliant uh, theological thinker. He said in his book, speaking of thankfulness, you mentioned thankfulness in your, in in some of the things that you just said a couple of seconds ago Mm -hmm. on that matter of thankfulness in his book, a body of divinity, Thomas Watson said this quote, let the merciful providence of God cause thank cause thankfulness. Now let me just pause there for a second. Just a second ago, Omaha, you gave several, sound biblical reasons as to why uh, we who are God's elect by his mercy, by his grace Mm -hmm. should be overwhelmed Mm -hmm. by the mere thought that before the world even began, Mm -hmm. this was his plan. Absolutely. This was his plan. So when you look at what Watson is saying here at the outset of this quote, let the merciful providence of God cause thankfulness. I don't think we often think of God's providence as merciful. No. This, this goes back to my point earlier where we where I said we take the grace of God for granted. Mm-hmm. We just take it so for granted. We talk about his grace, 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 grace. But do we even understand what that means? That's why we're doing this episode to help us and our listeners understand better from a theological standpoint. This is why we're going so deep into this. So we, we won't just be throwing out the word grace and not knowing its significance, not appreciating its depth. Uh, This is what Watson is talking about in in a a body of divinity. He says, let the merciful providence of God cause thankfulness. We are kept alive, he said, by a wonderful working providence. Providence makes our clothes to warm us and our meat to nourish us. We are fed every day out of the alms basket of God's providence. Amen. We are in health that we have an estate is not our diligence, but God's providence especially if we go a step higher. We may see cause for thankfulness that we were born and bred in a gospel land and that we live in such a place where the sun of righteousness shines, which is a signal providence. Watson goes on to say this, why, we might, why might we not have been born in such places where paganism prevails? Mm. That Christ should make himself known to us and touch our hearts with his spirit when he passes by others. Whence is this, but from the miraculous providence of God, which is the effect of his free grace, unquote. Mm -hmm. That was Thomas Watson from his book, A Body of Divinity. Now, as I said earlier, the church today speaks so flippantly of the grace of God that we take it for granted. 
you know, a prime example is that much of contemporary Christian music today talks a lot about the grace of God, but only in so much that its lyrics repeatedly use the word grace over and over and over and over again, but without any regard whatsoever to the theological significance of what that word actually means. Mm -hmm. In other words, we want to sing about God's grace, but not about why we need God's grace in the first place. That's so good. That is good. Yeah. Only sinners, listen, only sinners, only walking dunghills (laughs) are in need of God's grace. Yeah. And since we all are sinners, we all are in need of God's grace. Desperate need of God's grace. Listen to these verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. That's Ecclesiastes 7.20. Romans 3.23. We're all familiar with this one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, one person who thoroughly understood his own sinfulness and his desperate need for God's grace in light of his sinfulness was a Puritan by the name of John Bunyan. Now, many of our listeners, no doubt, may be familiar with John Bunyan, having read his classic work, Pilgrim's Progress. Mm -hmm. But John Bunyan was a sin-sick wretch prior to his conversion to Christ. In fact, in his book, Grace Abounding, Bunyan wrote the following about himself, okay? Quote, as for my own natural life, for the, for the time that I was without God in the world, it was my delight to be taken captive by the devil at his will, mm. being filled with all unrighteousness, the which did also strongly work and put forth itself both in my heart and life, and that from a child that I had but few equals especially considering my years, which were tender, being few, both for cursing, swearing, lying, and blaspheming the holy name of God. Now, Bunyan is saying he did this as a child. Right, right, right. Cursing, swearing, lying, and blaspheming the holy name of God as a child. Mm-hmm. Bunyan goes on. He says, yea, so settled and, re- and rooted was I in these things that they became as a second nature to me, the which, as I also have with soberness considered since, do so offend the Lord that even in my childhood he did scare and affright me with fearful dreams and did terrify me with dreadful visions. For often, after I had spent this and the other day in sin, I have in my bed been greatly afflicted while asleep with the apprehensions of devils and wicked spirits who still, as I then thought, labored to draw me away with them of which I could never be rid. Wow. Yea. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? That's great. He said, Yay. That's great. Such prevalency had the lusts and fruits of the flesh in this poor soul of mine that had not a miracle of precious grace prevented, I had not only perished by the stroke of eternal justice, but had also laid myself open even to the stroke of those laws which bring some to disgrace and open shame before the face of the world, unquote. Mm -hmm. 
that was jo- that was Mr. Pilgrim's Progress. Okay, <laughs> yeah. that was John Bunyan mm-hmm. in his book Grace Abounding, speaking about himself and how sinful he was before what he said is the precious grace of God prevented him from a child. Now he was sinning like this to this degree, swearing and cursing, blaspheming the holy name of God from childhood. Mm -hmm. But he called it a miracle of God's precious grace that prevented him from perishing by the stroke of eternal justice. Thoughts Omaha. I, I I love that. Again, I, I go back to what we talked about earlier with regard to thinking the deep thoughts about God. And when we when we take the time to do that, we rightly see our sinfulness before him. Uh, when we understand the holiness of God, we then rightly are able to discern our sinfulness and our need for him. When you read that, man, I immediately uh, thought about Psalm 51, 5, where, where David said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That thoughts like those of, of, of Bunyan and, and, and others aren't often mentioned this day, for, you know, today from a standpoint of, of children. We, we even still like to think of the innocence uh, of children. And, 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 and in a sense, uh, you know, with, with regard to a child in the womb being murdered, we, we do speak of innocence, I think, in a right category. Uh, they've done nothing, nothing that deserves the, 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 the mother uh, murdering that child in, on the inside of her womb uh, by, by, by any stretch of the imagination. At the same time, I think it's great for Bunyan to express a biblical idea around the sinfulness bound up in the heart of a child. Amen. So, so, I mean, I, I think I think that there is a proper category for those kinds of things. And I think Bunyan expressed that very appropriately. I hope and, and this is more aimed at, at some at some notes I wrote as I thought through what you were what you were wanting to share through this process. I hope our listeners are capturing uh, what you're doing. And uh, and that is you, you began uh, our time together by providing definitions around thankfulness and grace, uh, framing things up. Uh, for us, and then you pr- you provided a category of God's goodness aimed at all of mankind called common grace. So, believer and unbeliever alike can be thankful for the common grace of things like good food, the ability to taste it, since all of God, all of God's gifts are good and perfect, and they and they come uh, from Him. Next, you walked you walked the believer through a reason to be thankful for the special grace of salvation aimed at God's elect, those who, who come to faith uh, in Jesus Christ. And now you're walking through another category of God's goodness for which to be thankful, which is the providence of God. And I, I know we talked earlier about the fact you, you really don't start with outlines. Uh, yeah. you, 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 don't, you don't think in kind of outline, though, though you have a, a logical progression to the way that you kind of set things up. You're not one as apt to, to to lean into an outline, and I, I have a tendency, uh, and and again, it, it's probably the, the the way that I have to think. I, I I use crutches like that. I have to go through and kind of outline what 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 the thoughts are. It helps me frame this up, and so I'm trying to do that to some degree for our listeners because it was so so many great things that were shared. I wanted them to see this natural and logical progression of of, of definition, common grace, special grace for the unbeliever and now the providence of God mm-hmm. that we can, we can understand here, here I think immediately about, about Joseph who being sold into slavery by mm-hmm. his brothers was then falsely accused 
by Potiphar's wife, you know, finding himself in, in, in prison, he, he would rise uh, a, a, to be second in command in all of Egypt, right? And after being reunited with his brothers, Joseph would acknowledge God's providence in all manners by telling his brothers in Genesis fifty twenty, he said, he would say, as for you, uh, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So again, he's giving thankfulness to the providence of God in the good and the bad things that happens because he recognizes that God's hand was throughout and all of the things that he experienced prepared him for what God had in store for many people to be blessed as a result. Well, I'll say this, Omaha, you know, as, as you mentioned, you and I were talking offline before we actually hit the record button about our sort of uh, disparate ways of, w- of working through each of these uh, topics that we've dealt yep. with on the Just yep. Thinking podcast, how you're more of an, you, you lean more into an outline, yep. Yep. I tend to just start writing and, and maybe hopefully <laughs> following a logical thought process. Uh, absolutely does. Absolutely. You know, and, and we alluded to something. I'm going to dive in a little deeper here, you know, talking about the church taking for granted the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, I, I think, sadly, we have to admit that the church today is suffering from a dangerous lack of theological substance coming from its pulpits. Come on, uh, man. come on. Now, that's the case, not only from pulpits, though. It's coming from uh, Bible studies and Sunday school classes as well. Mm-hmm. A dangerous lack. Mm-hmm. Of theological substance, you know, you said in our previous episode on politics and the black church, you said something that that was very profound. You challenged our listeners to mm. not be lazy yeah. about their theological education. Right. Do not be lazy. But we've got some lazy pulpits out there. We got mm-hmm. some lazy Bible studies going on. We have got mm-hmm. some lazy Sunday school classes going on. Now I'll probably get some hate email or some hate feedback for that. <laughs> but but you know what my three word motto is? I don't care. Right, right. This is the truth. The church is suffering from a dangerous lack mm-hmm. of theological substance coming from pulpits, Bible mm-hmm. studies, and Sunday school classes. Mm-hmm. We so casually talk of God's grace being free, right? And his grace is free. His grace is free in the sense, in the sense that it is a free gift from God to his elect. Absolutely. You see, but what we often forget is that gifts cost. Gifts cost. Mm -hmm. Think about it. In order for something to be a gift, someone has to pay something, either in terms of expense, time, effort, or some other form of exchange or offering. And it is the one who has paid for that gift that is deserving of gratitude and thanksgiving, such is the case for you and me with regard to what Jesus Christ did in rescuing us from the wrath of God. Now, we don't hear much anymore about the wrath of God. No, we don't. But see, and that's a result of that gracism I talked about before. (laughs) That's one of the fruits. That's one of the byproducts of this sort of gracist uh, milieu that we are experiencing right now within evangelicalism. So as a result of that, one of the con- one of the uh, results is that we don't hear much more anymore about the grace of God. But Scripture is clear that it is from God's wrath that believers are delivered through the atoning and propitiatory work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now mm-hmm. we know this. We know this from such texts as John three thirty six. See, a gracist church will never preach on this verse. A grace, a church that is steeped in gracism 
won't preach this verse. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Mm-hmm. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Yeah. John three thirty six. Now, a gracist church may preach the first half of that verse. Right. Which reads, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. They'll preach the first half of that verse. But they won't preach the second half. Yeah. But he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That is a present tense reality for the unbeliever. Mm -hmm. The wrath of God is upon you right now. Right. Okay. You know, on that point, in his, we were talking about this earlier, but in his excellent book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer, in talking about the wrath of God, said this quote, If we would know God, it is vital that we face the truth concerning his wrath, however unfashionable it may be, and however strong our initial prejudices against it. Otherwise, we shall not understand the gospel of salvation from wrath, nor the propitiatory achievement of the cross, nor the wonder of the redeeming love of God. Unquote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, conversely, To quote again the uh, Reformed theologian A.W. Pink, in his book, The Attributes of God, which is another must-read book Mm -hmm. for our Mm -hmm. listeners out there. In his book, The Attributes of God, Pink said of God's wrath that, quote, the wrath of God is a perfection of the divine character on which we need to meditate frequently. First, that our hearts may be duly impressed by God's detestation of sin. Second, to beget a true fear in our souls for God, mm-hmm. and third, to draw out our soul in fervent praise to God for having delivered us from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians 1.10. Pink continues, our readiness or our reluctancy to meditate upon the wrath of God becomes a sure test of how our hearts really stand affected towards him. Wow. Unquote. Yeah. So you can test you can test your heart in terms of its affections for God or its disaffections for God depending on how you view the doctrine of God's wrath. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's what Pink is saying. Now, the great Welsh theologian D. Martin Lloyd Jones, the doctor, put the it doctor. this way. The doctor. <laughs> but speaking of wrath, if you've never listened to a sermon by D. Martin Lloyd Jones on the wrath of God. Uh, matter of fact, it doesn't even have to be on the wrath of God per se, because no. pretty much every Anything sermon from, he yeah. preached, <laughs> he, he talked about the wrath of God. But no one says wrath like right. that. <laughs> right, right. Let let that folks know it. too that yeah. let let them know that they can they can get his sermons. Uh, they they've got an app you can just yeah. download, put it on your yeah. phone. MLJ sermons. Uh, yeah. Martin Lloyd stands for Martin Lloyd Jones sermons. You can download that and and walk through. I don't know. It was like three three hundred and some odd sermons on the Book of Romans alone. Alone. And, yeah, and so Hello. I mean, you've got there's there's plenty of stuff that's there. I I would highly encourage, recommend, uh, charge you, challenge you, get, you know, go go out, go out and download this stuff. It's easily ac- accessible. Uh, you can listen to it and really and really have your your thoughts about God shaped and formed in a biblical way. 
That's a great point about the Martin Lloyd Jones app. MLJ Sermons, download the app, or you can go to mljtrust.org. Mljtrust.org to listen to them online. And speaking of uh, Martin Lloyd Jones and Romans, Omar, I have to brag, bro, because I have his entire commentary on Romans on my on the way here to me in about a week. Wow! Wow! Banner of truth, bro. Shout out to Banner of Truth. Banner of wow. Truth had a sale. I, I, it may still be going on when this episode comes out, mm. but they had Lloyd Jones's commentary set on mm-hmm. Romans on sale, bro, for two oh nine. Wow, the entire set, bro. I, I I didn't even get a text, man. Nobody even. Man, I didn't. Man, I didn't Merry get Christmas, a text, bro. <laughs> 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 but on wrath, on the wrath of God, Martin Lloyd Jones said this in his book entitled "The Cross." Okay, Jones said this, quote, grace is favor shown to people who do not deserve any favor at all. We deserve nothing but hell. If you think you deserve heaven, take it from me. You are not a Christian, unquote. That's good stuff right there, man. That's good that was the preaching. Doctor. That's some good preaching right there. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones from his book, The Cross, he says, if you think you deserve heaven, take it from me. You are not a Christian. So when it comes to the grace of God, what it is and how it operates both in the lives of unbelievers and believers alike, the church must stop preaching. Now, this is going to be controversial to some folks, but hear me out. When it comes to the grace of God, the church must stop preaching only a gospel of sola gratia or grace alone. And begin augmenting that doctrine by preaching a gospel of necessitatum gratiae. Mm-hmm. Okay? Necessitatum gratiae, the necessity of grace. Mm-hmm. See, we preach grace alone, right. but we don't preach the necessity of grace. That's right. what we don't preach. Right. For it is only as we understand the grace of God within the reality of why. We need God's grace in the first place that we can develop hearts that are truly thankful for the unmerited loving kindness he has shown and continues to show toward us. Mm-hmm. Case in point, Psalm 119, verse 68. Psalm 119, verse 68 says of God, you are good and you do good. You are good and do good. Psalm 119, 68. In other words, The psalmist here is declaring that God is good in all his deeds and in all his ways because he is a God who is good by nature. Okay. In contrast, you and I, Omaha, are not good by nature. In fact, quite the opposite. Right. For example, Genesis 6, 5. Genesis 6, 5 reads, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's Genesis 6, 5. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart, not just the deeds, the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Likewise, Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. Genesis 8, 21, the Lord smelled the fragrant aroma. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of, of man's heart is evil from his youth. Genesis 8.21. Now, if anyone, anyone who tells you that mankind is inherently good is not only lying to you, 
but they're lying to themselves. You need only point them to those two verses I just read in Genesis. Then ask them to turn on the television or go on the Internet for evidence that those verses are indeed true in what they say. Absolutely. All right. You know, the band Earth, Wind and Fire was quite mistaken in their song back in the 70s titled The Way of the World, in which they sang these words. A child is born with a heart of gold, but the way of the world makes his heart grow cold. No. No, Earth, Wind, and Fire. The truth is every child that enters this world is conceived, not just born, but right. is conceived, not with a heart of gold, but with a heart of stone. Mm-hmm. And as I read earlier from Ezekiel chapter 36, God must transform that heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You were talking earlier, Omaha, about the sin nature even of a child. Right. We quoted John Bunyan, right? Right. Uh, and you look at all the beautiful baby pictures that we see on social media. Yeah, post the pictures. Right. But just remember that that little infant, that little toddler, that cute little fourth grader or that, yeah, they have a sin nature. Mm -hmm. They have a sin nature. This is why you don't need to teach a child what to do wrong. They instinctively know what to Mm -hmm. do wrong. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, It's just instinct. Right. You know, to quote John MacArthur from his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, MacArthur says this in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, quote, the Lord's remedy for a wicked heart is a new heart, and his answer for our helplessness is his sufficiency, unquote. Thoughts on that, Omaha? Yeah, I want to go back to what you talked about earlier, which which is when you started kind of this this section, you talked about the fact that very few pulpits talk about the wrath of God. And 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 you talked about you talked about earlier, you talked about gracism. I got to remember that I'm definitely still in that. I'm going to get I'm going to use it three times to give you attribution after that, bro. It's mine. So that's. I was say, you know, I got this from my brother Daryl. You know, he, you know, he kind of had this little wordy coin, and then after that, I'll, I'll, for, I'll forget altogether what where I got it from. But so I'm just warning, I'm just warning you ahead of time. So if you hear me preaching a sermon, if I send you a sermon and you hear me use it like I like it's always been in my hip pocket, you know where it came from. So I, pre- I feel you, bro. It's all good. <laughs> I always give me my props. I'm gonna give you your props early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna give it to you early. But here, here, here's the here's the truth of that, man. As we as we joke about it, the reality is. Pulpits don't want to talk about God's wrath. We no. we we have become so pragmatic uh, in our approach to 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 sharing you know the watered down gracist gospel message uh, uh, that that we 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 don't want to talk about the wrath of God. In fact, you ask the average Christian, "What do you say?" You mentioned saved. You mentioned salvation. What are you saved from? That simple. That simple yep. question will elicit puzzled looks on the faces of the mm-hmm. average Christian. Mm-hmm. You, know what, no- you know what? You know what? You know what? Would elicit even more puzzled look. Ask them who are you saved from? <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right, right. They expect they expect to be asked maybe what are you saved from? Right, right. Ask them who are you who, saved? Who from? you saved from? Yeah, saved. By, you're saved from God by God. You're saved from God, from his wrath mm-hmm. that you rightly deserve. <laughs> but, 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 again, but again, we don't we, we, there, there's no conversation about that. There's no 
understanding is virtually that. non-existent. It, listen, it, if you would, if you listen to most messages, I won't even call them sermons, right. if you, because really what you're getting from most pulpits today in the evangelical church are just glorified TED talks. These, these yeah, are just exactly inspirational right. messages, you know, to, to get you out the door on the way to your work week or your duties at home or whatever. Yep. Yep. But yeah, these aren't sermons. These are not theologically deep sermons at all. These are just TED talks, uplifting, uh, topical messages uh, that, you know, may last you a few minutes to get you home in time to, to watch the kickoff of the football game. But nothing right. about God's wrath. It's as if God's wrath doesn't even exist anymore. Right. Right. Which is why it's so difficult when someone comes preaching and declaring the truth of the word of God. It, it, it sounds insane to folks that they, 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 they have been so they have been so removed from the from the biblical holiness of God mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. understanding his wrath doesn't even make it doesn't even compute. Right. It doesn't it doesn't make sense to them. But mm-hmm. but but that, that's the reality of where we are. When once we understand our condition before a holy God, the good news of the gospel becomes truly the good news that it's intended to be. And so I'll I'll lean into my notes here and just say our greatest thankfulness should be that we can know and experience the greatest news mankind has ever been given, which is that we can be made right once again with God through the completed work of Christ on the cross. And how how much more should we be thankful than any other previous generation of people? Unlike those in the Old Testament who had been given types and shadows of what was to come, we on this side of the cross have been given the full measure of the revelation of God's intention since the beginning of time that he would unite all things to himself through Christ. So we, we more than anyone should have the clearest understanding of the full weight and magnitude of God's wrath that's poured out on his son on the cross, aimed at us, that he took on Mm -hmm. our behalf for those who have repented and placed their faith in him. Man, that's a, I don't know what to say, bro. You nailed it. You nailed it, Omaha. You know, um, this podcast, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, this podcast episode will be released only a couple days before the Thanksgiving Day holiday. And on that day, there'll be many family members and friends who will gather together to give thanks to God for the kindness and goodness he has shown them over the course of the year. But in thanking God for his goodness, we often forget to thank him for his goodness that manifests itself in the situations of adversity that he has ordained to come into our lives. That's good. I'm going to repeat that. We often forget to thank God for his goodness that manifests itself in the situations of adversity that he has ordained to come into our lives. Yes, I said adversity. Listen to these words from John Calvin from his Institutes of the Christian Religion. Quote, believers should not develop such contempt for the present life that it produces hatred of it or ingratitude toward God. For although this life is full of untold miseries, it is rightly counted as one of God's blessings, which should never be despised. Thus, if we fail to recognize it as a favor from God, we are guilty of great ingratitude. Christians in particular should see it as a token of the Lord's goodwill, since it is wholly intended to further their salvation. 
For before he fully shows us our inheritance of eternal glory, the Lord chooses to make himself known to us as father in lesser things, that is, in the benefits which we daily receive from his hand. In other words, common grace. Since, therefore, this present life helps us understand, helps us understand something of God's goodness, should we ignore it as if there were nothing good about it? That is why we must always be disposed to see it as a gift of God's kindness, which should not be refused. Even if there were no testimony from Scripture, and of course there is, nature itself urges us to give God thanks because he has created us and placed us in this world, preserves us, and provides us with all that we need to exist. We have, moreover, an even better reason if we reflect that here is where he prepares us for the glory of his kingdom. For he has forever willed that all who are to receive the heavenly crown should first do battle on earth. I love that by Calvin. Mm -hmm. Those who are to receive the heavenly crown should first do battle on earth and that they should triumph only when wars, hardships are passed and victory has been won. There is another reason which is also worth weighing. I'm still quoting Calvin here. Here is where we begin to taste how sweet is his goodness in the blessings he bestows and where we are roused by the hope and the desire to see them fulfilled in heaven. Once we are convinced that our earthly life is a generous gift of God's mercy, a debt, as it were, then is the time to direct our attention downward and to think about our unhappy lot so as to rid ourselves of that passion for life to which, as we have said, we are naturally inclined, unquote. That was John Calvin from his institutes talking about a godly perspective of even the adversity That's good. that we experience in this life. You know, God indeed, God is indeed a good God. As we saw earlier in Psalm 119, verse 68, God is indeed a good God. In fact, he is so good to us that he often ordains adversity to come into our lives to demonstrate his goodness. Now, to the unbeliever, that will sound like a contradiction. In fact, they may come as a surprise to some of you who are listening, but it's true. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't doubt that there is someone listening to this episode right now who may be questioning the good of the goodness of God in allowing certain situations of adversity into their life this year. But it's to that person that I want to encourage to listen closely to this verse of Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. Mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes 7.14, this is a verse that has held me steady personally, Omaha, yeah. through the adversity I faced in my own life over the years. Ecclesiastes 17, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes 7, 14. verse 14, it says, In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider that God has made the one as well as the other. Mm-hmm. That's Ecclesiastes 7.14. Now, I would encourage you to read Ecclesiastes 7.14 alongside Romans 8.28. Because we love to quote Romans 8.28. Yeah, yeah, all, yeah. All things work together for good. Yeah. Well, Ecclesiastes 7.14 is a really good test about whether you believe Romans 8.28. Mm-hmm. Right? Because we have a propensity to think 
when we when we quote and cite Romans eight twenty eight that all the that that God only gives us good things and those good things will ultimately work out for our good. But we don't all, we don't think a lot about the adversity that comes into our lives as coming from God. We know that the adversity comes, but we don't attribute them from come as coming from God. But Ecclesiastes seven fourteen clears that up for good. Mm-hmm. And the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, remember that God has made the one as well as the other. You know, Omaha, in the NESB, the words give and thanks occur 152 times in 75 verses. Hmm, Okay, so 152 times in 75 verses, you will read the words give thanks. One of those occurrences is in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 50. 2 Samuel 22, verse 50, where King David says this. He says, therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. Now, the word thanks in 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty is the Hebrew word, the Hebrew verb yada. That's spelled Y-A-D-A-H. That's the Hebrew word for give thanks, for thanks rather, in 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty, the Hebrew verb yada. That verb carries with it the picture of someone with outstretched arms as a gesture of reverence and worship toward God for what he has done, whether prosperity or adversity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, Scripture teaches that as believers in Christ, we are to give thanks to God in all things. Okay. Now, admittedly, giving thanks to God in all things is not always easy for us to do. But consider, for example, Job's response to his wife when she exhorted him to quote curse god and die unquote right after having lost all their children and all their property subsequent to god granting satan permission to torment him now in response to her very sinful admonition to curse god and die and die job said to his wife in job chapter 2 verse 9 quote you speak as one of the foolish women speaks Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Mm-hmm. That's Job 2.9. So as you reflect back, listener, on this Thanksgiving holiday and even looking forward towards Christmas and giving thanks to God, thank him also for the adversity that he has allowed into your life and do that in light of what we just read in Job chapter 2, verse 9. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Omaha, uh, the Apostle Paul says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, the word everything in that verse is the Greek adjective pas, that's P-A-S, which translated means all things regardless of manner or type. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when Paul says that everything gives thanks in the Greek, he's saying give thanks for all things regardless of their manner or type. And it is with that that, that definition of the word everything in mind, I'm going to close with this. With that definition of the word everything in mind, I want to share the story of a little-known Puritan by the name of John Hooper. Hmm. John Hooper. 
Now, John Hooper was born around the year 1495 in Somerset, England. On February 9th of the year 1555, John Hooper, who was one of the more outspoken reformers against Roman Catholicism, on February 9th, 1555, Hooper was burned at the stake as a heretic after refusing to recant his faith. When armed men came to arrest him, Hooper looked at their weapons and said this, quote, Master sheriffs, I am no traitor, and you have no need to make such a work to take me to the place where I must suffer. If you had told me, I would have gone to the stake and have troubled none of you, unquote. Mm. So February 9th, 1555 was a very cold day. In fact, it was so cold that the fire that would put John Hooper to death had to be set on three different occasions. Consequently, as you can imagine, Hooper suffered greatly. But according to the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, okay, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, John Hooper died, quote, as a child in his bed, unquote. Fox's Book of Martyrs records this, quote, about John Hooper's death. Being burned at the stake. Uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs says of Hooper, quote, the third fire was kindled, which was more extreme than the other two, in which the fire he prayed with somewhat a loud voice, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And these were the last words he were to utter. But when he was black in the mouth, and his tongue swollen that he could not speak. Yet his lips went on until they were shrunk to the gums, and he knocked his breast with his hands until one of his arms fell off, and then knocked still with the other, at which time the fat, water, and blood dripped out of the ends of his fingers, until by renewing of the fire his strength was gone and his hand did cleave fast in knocking to the iron upon his breast. So immediately, bowing forward, he yielded up his spirit. Thus he was three-quarters of an hour or more in the fire, Jeez. even as a lamb. That's 45 minutes at least Yeah, in the fire. Even as a lamb, patiently, he abode the extreme extremity thereof, neither moving forwards, backwards, nor to any side, but he died as quietly as a child in his bed. And he now reigneth, I doubt not, as a blessed martyr in the joys of heaven, prepared for the faithful in Christ before the foundations of the world, and for whose constancy mm. all Christians are bound to praise God." Unquote. Yeah. Man. That was from Fox's Book of Martyrs about the death of the martyr John Hooper, who was burned at the stake on February 9th, 1555. Now, only the grace of God can endow a person with the kind of fortitude, boldness, and supernatural peace as to endure being burned at the stake, yet have that death be compared to a child falling asleep in his bed. Listen, in everything, give thanks, 
for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. For you, listener. Take that take that command personally, my brothers and sisters, remembering that giving thanks to God in everything, regardless of the manner or type in which God brings that thing into your life, whether it is prosperity or adversity, give him thanks because it is his will for you. Insert your name right there. It is his will for you that you give thanks in everything in Christ Jesus. Remember that as you gather together for Thanksgiving and Christmas and thank God for his grace upon your life. Omaha, you got any closing thoughts, bro? Man, you've been listening to an episode of the Just Thinking Podcast. We're excited that you joined us. Tune in next time for the next edition of Just Thinking.